Hey bosses, this week's sponsor is Fundrise, bringing you the future of real estate investing. Get started for as little as $1,000 at investlikeaboss.com slash fundrise. Find out more during the break. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey everyone, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 49 of the Vest Like a Boss podcast. Back here with Sam Marks. Johnny, guys. Well, one thing we've definitely learned through this podcast and just through our own experiences, Johnny, are there's a ton of ways out there to make money, especially when you invest in yourself. And this week we have on Brian Rabbit, who's a friend of mine and is killing it. A couple of weeks ago we had Bryce Leo on. Brian is making 500K a year and he's doing it the hard way, door to door sales. Last summer he made 190 grand in five months, and this year he's crushing that. So, dude, this is going to be an explosive episode. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this is going to be very, very different than our normal investment episodes. One of the reasons why we wanted to have Brian on the show today is just because there's a lot of people right now who are like, you know, you know, Sam, Johnny, I want to invest all in these cool things you guys keep talking about, but. I don't have the capital. I don't have the money for it. Um, you know, the, the most I can do is save 20% of my, my salary and that salary might only be 50 grand. So it's, you know, it's not, there's not that much extra to play with. This episode, I think Brian is going to just shatter that reality and say the option is out there to, to hustle, uh, to, you know, to get into sales and you might not necessarily want to, do the same thing as Brian or do door-to-door sales or sales at all. But I think if you guys listen to this episode with a kind of open mind, you might start thinking, okay, I can take some of these tips and some of this mindset either towards my own job or maybe I do want to hustle. Maybe I do want to hustle mm-hmm. for summer. Maybe I want to do, do want to hustle for a year. Yeah, I would say that door-to-door sales is definitely not for everybody, but sales strategy should be. And having some type of experience, even if you just read a couple books, it's a must-have sales strategy is applicable to just about anything. Johnny, I know with all the stuff that you do online, you know, sales strategy overlaps a lot of online marketing in terms of hooks and emotions and and what you're trying to accomplish. So I think it's really important that everyone at least familiarizes themselves with at least a few sales tactics. And you're going to get a lot of them in this episode. Yeah, definitely 100%. Whether you like it or not, everything in the world, every single job in the world is sales. You know, whether you're a doctor or an accountant, you know, or you're an investor, you are in sales. You just you just don't you may not know it. And then the the sooner you figure out that you are in sales, the better off you'll be as a whole. I agree totally. So stay tuned after this. We're gonna have a lot of great takeaways from this episode, what we learned and what we can apply to everyday business and practice. Without further ado, let's take in this episode with Brian Rabbit. Hey bosses, have you ever wanted to invest in real estate but didn't want the headache or risk of becoming a landlord? Well, Fundrise may be the answer. They allow you to earn passive income while they do the work. Get started today and skip the waitlist by using our special partner link at investlikeaboss.com slash fundrise. Everybody, welcome back to Invest Like a Boss. Brian Rabbit, great to have you on the show, my man. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Dude, I'm pumped to have you on. I know personally that you are one of the best salespeople I've ever encountered and a great friend. So thanks for coming on. We're looking forward to diving into your experience as a salesman because you're absolutely killing it right now. Um, 
And there are so many takeaways I get every time that I sit down with you or meet you. And just the passion and the drive that you have in selling is pretty incredible. So we want to dig into that and hear about your strategy and what drives you. Absolutely. So dude, let's start with the hardest question I could possibly think of first to kind of anchor this entire episode. And that would be, why are you such a damn good salesman? Yeah, it's a great question. So it's it's much simpler than most people would expect. And I'd say there's three things. The first thing is, you know, just working way harder than anybody is willing to work. That's that's one thing. The second thing would be, you know, a commitment to mastery and just focusing on constantly improving every single day, every single interaction, regardless, and just assume that, you know, if you're not making that sale, it's because of something you don't know yet. And somebody in the world could make the sale. So just get super curious. And usually you start to get ideas of how you can improve. And then the third thing is actually I was uh, felt like I was in my peak state and I was just rocking and rolling last summer. And I recorded an audio about why sales are made and just to capture it. And the audio is it's probably the most intense I've ever heard myself, which says, <laughs> which says <laughs> and, a lot. Uh, yeah, right. So the first thing that it said, it's like the reason why sales are made is because of intensity. It's because when you see the white in someone's eyes, you can relax because you know that that's your next sale. There's no reason to rush it. You just know that's why you're there. They're living, they're breathing. So they're obviously your next customer. Mm -hmm. And you just have to know for sure that they're your next sale. And if they start to interact with you in a way that is inconsistent with that, I just like to think of it as, well, maybe they didn't get the memo yet, but the memo is going to be delivered any second. So I might as well just keep going and move them through the steps. So much there that's just anchored in mindset and being tenacious. And when I think of the word tenacious, I've always thought of you. And when I think of hard work, I've always thought of you. You're you're kind of set the, set the def definition for that stuff. And I've had the privilege of knowing you since, I would say, high school almost. Definitely all through college, but high school yeah. and... Uh, yeah, you just continue to impress me. So I want to go back all the way through to your first sales experience because I actually I don't know this. Um, but what what's the first sales position you had and the first sale you ever made? Yeah, so the first sales position that I had, like a legit formal, would be Cutco Cutlery selling mm -hmm. kitchen knives and vector marketing. And I guess my first sale was my mom, and uh, she says she bought it because. You know, she wanted it, but let's be let's be realistic here. I was horrible, and she loved me. <laughs> <laughs> so, th the cool thing about Cutco sales uh, in that world is a few things. Number one, their training is just ridiculous, and it, it really teaches how you can teach an idiot how to sell a really expensive product that they were absolutely not in the market just because of a good process. And I learned a really valuable lesson, which is the value of the sales process. I learned how to close. But the best part is I actually really sucked mm -hmm. at first for a while. So my first sales experience was was actually me learning that I had to work like five or 10 times harder than everyone else because I was really, really bad. And I would go into, yeah, I, I would go never, into the office. I could never imagine that, but that's that's incredible to hear. That's That was the initial oh. start. Oh, it's true. So, I mean, we, we would schedule appointments and, you know, I would go in there for maybe three hours and call, 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 and I might get one or two appointments. And I'll never forget this girl, Kathy Vasquez. She'd come in there in 30 minutes and book 10 appointments. Like, how the hell do you do that? But one of the things that I hadn't yet learned 
is that it was a skill and like any skill can be learned. So I never really asked the right questions like, hey, what are you doing different than me? What are you saying on the phone? Can you listen to me for 30 seconds and tell me why I suck so bad? So, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a big learning curve, but it wound up it wound up turning that around over the years and wound up doing really, really well there. Man, I didn't know Cutco was your first sales job because that's, that's actually when I got to know you and know that you are an amazing salesperson. You were already doing really, really well at Cutco. And a lot of our friends ended up joining and, and going through the sales process at Cutco and starting to sell Cutco knives, including myself. But I can think of at least another half dozen people that we know that ended up doing it. And I guess that all originally stemmed from you, right? I'd like to think so. And in all fairness, you knew me after I had learned how to do it well. Mm-hmm. Well, let me rephrase that. We got close after I had learned how to do it well. It was, I was a senior in high school when I was really bad at it. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm sure there's some listeners out there that are familiar with Cutco. It is an actually a fantastic product. I can confidently say I think they're probably the best knives in the world. Do you, do you still share that opinion? 100%. I've got one on my desk right now, actually. Yeah. So I, I, <laughs> I, I, I actually I went through the sales process and that changed my world because I don't consider myself at all a salesman today. But going through that process and learning, like you said, that it, it, there is a process and I, I believe that you have to have a good product in order to, to do good ethical sales. But I, it wasn't, I wasn't cut out for it. I kind of got through, I think six weeks or something. And I'm just like, you know what? I actually made pretty good money, but it just wasn't for me. And where I got stalled in it was the cold calling. I can remember being, I, I want to say it was in college, maybe first year of college, we were doing it in the summer. And I can remember doing my first set of cold calls and I was calling people up around 7 PM on a weeknight. And I called like maybe three people in a row and they were all having family dinners and they're like, you know, I'm having dinner with my family and you could just tell they were upset. And I grew up in a household that we get solicitor calls every single night, like 10 solicitation phone calls. And I was like, I just can't, I, I don't have the guts to do this. It wasn't made for me, but you got over that hurdle. Were there any other, you know, were there any setbacks for you initially when you, when you got started or was it just go, go, go and building yourself sure. up? Sure. And I, I just want to comment on what you said, because I've heard so many people uh, say that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to debunk the myth yeah. that, you know, sales aren't for certain people. I think it's more a matter of if you want it to be, you can make it so that it is. And, you know, if you believe that that's the best thing mm-hmm. that you have available, then then you will and you'll get through the uncomfort, uh, uncomfortable, uncomfortable ability. Yeah. But, you know, it comes down to whether you think it's worth it. You know, so, I mean, you are, you, everyone sells. So, you know, I, I would consider everybody a salesperson from the moment they're convincing their parents to get them, you know, extra ice cream. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, so you would ask me to walk you through, uh, a challenge with that. Yeah. I mean, what were some of the early setbacks? So assume uh, your, your first sale was to your mom. And then I know with Cutco, you're supposed to kind of branch off that tree, but mm-hmm. Where did you have trouble initially when you started going outside of your immediate family and friend friend network selling into more cold calling and, and, and you know, more less referral stuff, more just cold calling? That was the exact thing. So, you know, figure there's the, the uh, you, you have to make phone calls to schedule appointments. Mm-hmm. You have to generate uh, leads. So you have somebody to call and then you have to be able to do the presentation well. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a cycle. My challenge at that, uh, back then was definitely the phone calls, just closing them on the phone mm-hmm. to, to see me. 
so the way I overcame that was Juan Ramos. He was, I had a few different managers. Uh, he was my third manager. And I actually got fired from Cutco. I don't know if you know that. I actually got fired from Cutco. <laughs> I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't know if it is either, but I was. So I missed a meeting and combined with me just trying hard, but really being horrible at it. And uh, my, my the guy that I was working for at the time, my manager is like, look, you know, you, you can still turn in orders, I guess, but like you don't need to come to the meetings. You know, you, you don't need to come anymore, which is his way of firing me. And uh, I got another manager the, the next summer and then a different one. And Juan Ramos, he really taught me how to sell well. And he really, and he taught me how to schedule appointments. And the biggest thing that he taught me as far as scheduling appointments was it, like you said earlier, it's all mindset. And I just had this story that I was telling myself that I wasn't good on the phones. And, you know, I was basing it on my experience of being bad on the phones. But the moment he wouldn't allow me to say things like that, that, you know, really cheapened my skill. And he forced me to say things like, I am going to schedule appointments. I can, you know, I'm great at this. And as silly as it sounds, it's kind of cheesy. You know, that stuff makes a big difference because what you believe comes across in the way you're talking. And then I started to schedule appointments like crazy. And then I started to generate a lot of referrals. And then he really taught me the art of learning. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I became obsessed with that. And, you know, my first 10 months with Cutco, I sold Mm $17,000, which is not that much, by the way. Mm -hmm. And then over the course of two weeks, we had a huge contest and I was able to sell over 18,000. It's actually $18,362. And it's over 10 years ago. But the reason why I remember is it changed my whole life. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just taught me that, you know, anything's possible. It taught me that if I want to be the best I can, I went from never winning ever at anything to being number one out of, you know, thousands, thousands. And it just taught me it was a matter of just committing. You know, I wasn't the best, but I figured out how to produce the most. And when you were selling Cutco, was this all through college? I, I feel like you were doing it every summer, but I, I'm not sure if you were doing it while you're in school as well. Yeah. So fortunately, I was able to make enough money, and you know, I, I thought it was rich at the time. You know, I made ten thousand uh, dollars my first summer in college doing it, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought I could buy a country. So <laughs> uh, I, I definitely did not work during the school year, uh, except if you count, you know, partying and uh, the good old days at Phi Sig. Mm-hmm. So. Then the next summer I made 20 grand and then I dropped out with 90 credits and and good grades on the dean's list. And then I made 25 grand that summer and then I did it for a little while after that. Wow. So I remember a guy, Anthony Mergio, who we're both friends with. He Mm -hmm. was the one that brought me directly into Cutco and he had said he had made $13,000 in a summer. This was when I was like a freshman in college. He had made $13,000 in a summer and he had just leased a 300M, a Chrysler 300M when that was like the coolest, hippest new car out on, yeah. the, on the market. And I was yeah. like, dang, like everyone's cleaning up with Cutco and, and make, you know, if you could make $10,000, $15,000 in a summer, I mean, that was, that was a lot of money, right? In Enormous. college. So, so how long just, did, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Just to put that in perspective, uh, just to really point out how horrible I was at first. And the reason why I want to really uh, emphasize this mm-hmm. is because a lot of people assume because they start off really, really poor uh, at sales, uh, you know, in more ways, the pun intended, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. So that it doesn't mean it stays that way. So Anthony Mergio, that that summary you're referring to, mm-hmm. he sold approximately $50,000 in sales. Dang. His commissions were 13,000, right? So it took me 10 months. That was in, you know, three months. So it took me 10 months to sell 17,000, my first, uh, my first go at it. So do you think it just took you longer to learn the process and or get comfortable with it all versus like Anthony when he jumped in and was able to, 
to to do that in his first summer? I think he's ultra talented as an individual, but I think he was he was already you know mature in in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I think I needed I think I needed the right leadership to like call me out and you know and help me learn mm-hmm. and uh, just to call me out and tell me that I sucked because yeah. I didn't like hearing that. So I was motivated to do something about it. That's wild. Well, thanks for sharing that because I always since I've known you, I always just assumed that you were this this amazing talented natural salesman and I never knew you kind of went through the hardships or especially the self-doubt uh early on and and uh knowing how quickly you were able to kind of overcome that is pretty cool yeah I think it's a gift really mm-hmm. when, when you struggle at first it's a lot better because everyone goes through challenges but if you're not you know if you haven't experienced a challenging time then whenever you reach it you might just throw in the towel as opposed to be like dude I've been through this before this this is fine I'll get right over it so with Cutco, how long did you end up doing it in the end and how much money were you able to, to make at your, your peak prime? Yeah. So I did it on and off, you know, for, I don't know, a number of years, but my peak, it, it, I mean, it, some people would probably call this a good amount of money, but, uh, the level of success that I had achieved there combined with how much money it actually was, wasn't impressive. So it was seven, seven months and I made about 50 grand. So after expenses and stuff, let's call it $45,000. But that was like I achieved the standard of excellence as an award there. Mm-hmm. So that opportunity, as I see it and uh, believe, it's it was very limited. Mm-hmm. So like if you did extraordinarily well, maybe you'll make a hundred thousand dollars, which is a lot of money. But you know that's to to be in top of thousands, 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 thousands of people. You know you 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 got to be in the right vehicle that can uh, really propel you to the next level if that's something you want. So how far can you actually go within Cutco? You can become a sales manager, which is then you're recruiting teams, and then you can become maybe like a regional manager where you're you're making commission off every, everyone down the pipeline. Or how far can you actually go with in in that organization? So you know technically you can you know get to, so here's the process. That's an easier way to answer it. Mm-hmm. So you run your own office. And then if you do really, really well than that, then you keep running your own office and you can oversee like the division. So a handful of other offices. Mm-hmm. And then if, you know, maybe 10 years later, five years later, you know, if you're, if you're lucky and someone else gets fired, then, you know, then you can become like a regional where you just are in charge of lots of offices, but someone has to, has to kind of be displaced for that to happen. You know, you can be extraordinarily extraordinary, but it's not going to, they're not going to create a position for you. And, um, you know, it's kind of the limit. So I, I think as, you know, let's say out of maybe 300 offices, and this is a while ago, but let's say 300 offices, I'd say maybe the top 10, you know, might make over a hundred thousand dollars and the amount of work that they're putting in, I'd say 80 hours a week, you know, year round. And, uh, the other aspect that, you know, a lot of people don't realize is that they have huge expenses. So like Juan Ramos, the, the guy who I credit to really teaching me how to crank and, uh, really helping me become so much more than I, than I had been mm-hmm. previously, he was losing money while I was making a ton as his number one rep and the number one rep in the state. And, you know, I just thought that was backwards. Like, how is it possible that somebody who's teaching me how to be super successful is actually losing money? Huh. So I, I think that their business model is, is just flawed. A terrific product, terrific opportunity. I'm thrilled that I did it, mm-hmm. but it was pretty obvious to me that that was not the vehicle uh, for me to, to stay with just because Juan was being honest with me about, about his bills, mm-hmm. very much related to that. When you were selling, was it all cold call 
and referral business or did you ever do door-to-door stuff? I was scared shitless of door-to-door. Are you crazy? <laughs> There's no way I was going to do that, <laughs> I, I, which is funny, right? So I'd say about uh, maybe 10 or 20% uh-huh. of it was home shows, you know, fairs. So you go to a big auditorium where there's lots of people selling products. And then the rest was cold calling and generating referrals and a little bit of service calls from people that had it and just upgrading them. Can you give us an example of what a cold call would be like, like the, the actual, what you would actually say on the phone Sure. Or what, or, and, or what, and what the goal is on the phone as well? So the goal, so in sales, I've learned, um, you know, the goal is to get somebody to the next step. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that, that would be different based on the industry, based on the scenario. But the goal of the phone call was to schedule an appointment, not to sell the product, mm-hmm. you know, and that took me a while to figure that out. Uh, it doesn't really matter if they want to buy the product on the phone because they're unqualified to know, you know, you haven't sold them yet. Right. So I can give it a go to give you an example of a phone call there. It's been, you know, 10, 10 years or so, but so ring, ring, ring. Hi. Yeah. Hey, is this Sam? This is Sam. Hey, Sam. Sorry uh, to bother you. This is Brian. Uh, Brian Rabbit. I'm not sure if they told you or not. One of your friends, uh, you know, Anthony Mergio, he had said to give you a call. Um, basically, what we're doing is we're uh, we have kitchen cutlery. It's called Cutco. I'm not sure if you heard of it, but it's a bunch of kitchen stuff. And uh, I'm not sure if you're, you're going to want to buy stuff or not. But uh, basically, what we're what I'm supposed to do is schedule a few appointments, and it's helping me win a scholarship this summer. Hmm. And I'm actually going to be in your area, anyways. Um, you don't have to buy anything, by the way. I get paid just to show it, but I'm going to be in your area. Anyways, uh, this Tuesday, are you available in the morning at 10 or would it, the afternoon be better uh, about 6? Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, not going to play, role play there anymore, but I just wanted to pick up on a couple of things. So some of that is does kind of ra- remind me of what they taught us at Cutco, although you just let it flow really nicely. Obviously, you had a lot more experience doing it. It's pretty rusty. Yeah, but so there's a lot of hooks in there that even, even when we're just role playing right there, I kind of felt myself sort of nodding because once you have that that friend referral, assuming that it's somebody that's pretty close to me, like Anthony Margio, um, and there's and you and you also lead in with the the kind of no pressure approach of like, hey, I'm getting I'm getting paid just to come come by and show it to you. So it's like I'm almost doing a friend a favor, a friend of a friend a favor type of thing. Um, is that like? Are there a few points in that call in that strategy that are like? really cemented hooks that you found, you know, work time and time again? Yeah. So there's two principles or three principles, I guess we could pull out. One is what you mentioned, social proof, Mm -hmm. you know, a friend of yours, you know, put his blessing on it. Right. Mm -hmm. The second thing is the best way to handle objections and sales is typically taught as, well, you handle it. But the, the real best way to handle an objection is way before it comes up. So if I expect you to say, I'm not going to buy anything, then what I need to tell you is you're, you don't have to buy anything. And if I say that before you do, then you know, you're not going to say it. So that's the biggest thing, handling all the objections in advance. Uh-huh. And, you know, people are just inclined to want to help somebody. And then the other thing is when you're, when you're closing, you know, just one of the, one of the closing methods a gentle one is just giving the option close. So do you want to meet at this time or at this time? So if you answer, well, I'm busy, then that's completely different than you saying, no, I'm not going to see you, uh-huh. you know? So then I can just navigate. Okay, no worries. I'm actually going to be in there anyways, uh, Wednesday. And, you know what I mean? So you just navigate accordingly. Do you find that giving a certain amount of times is best? Like if you only give one time, two. okay, two times, boom. Yeah. And two. why, why is two times better than say four times? 
because uh, another rule of thumb in sales is a confused mind will always say no. Four times, I don't know. I'm just kind of not sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Why don't I get back to you? Why don't you get back to me? And we both uh, know that that means it's definitely never going to happen. So mm-hmm. two two is ideal always. And if, if those two times aren't available for the person, do you then extend it to say two more or, or one more? Nope, two more. Two more. Okay, I like it. Yep. Pretty, and if you keep to follow. Yeah, and if you keep giving pushback, then you can ask a more open-ended question, such as, "Okay, no worries. Uh, what's better for you during the day or in the evening?" Mm-hmm. You know. So now I know. Let's say you say evening. Well, the next two that I'm going to say is going to be two different evening times. Mm-hmm. So I, I can I can see early in the evening, like five thirty, or if it's if you're super busy, I don't mind coming late. You know, I'm willing to work as late as I need to, so I can come by at like you know eleven thirty at night, and they're going to be like, "No, no, 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 that's way too late." But how about nine? You know, and how do you pick, so, how do you pick the two times again? Like, if do you kind of analyze who that person is, if they might be working or not working, and or is there like a certain amount, a certain times that always seem to be the most readily available for people? I I would always choose times. I don't I don't like to think too much about an individual mm-hmm. before they're like committed to me because then I feel like it's kind of wasteful. So what I would do is just make out my schedule so that I was maximizing my, my time in front of customers. And, you know, I would usually do it about two hours, two and a half hours apart. And then, so I would have a a list of availabilities before calling. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just trying to fill them as close to right now as possible. And then, uh, and I would try for the hardest times to fill first. So, you know, right now it's, you know, it's Monday morning. So if I still have an open slot later today, I need to fill that. Otherwise it's never going to get filled. I like it. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, so much of this stuff, I think, translates. I want to talk about this a little bit later in the episode, but I just want to I'm just kind of blurting out what's on top of my mind right now is it seems like so much of this stuff would relate to any type of sales or, or marketing, not not necessarily cold calling or door to door sales, but anything people might be doing online. Right. In trying to set sure. up meetings and and uh, and even just with like web content, trying to trying to make sales and keep people almost disarm people in a way right so a lot of what you're doing in that initial call and approach with the social proof and then letting people know that there's you know there's no pressure by you're kind of disarming them and taking away any objections like you said absolutely so that was kind of your past sales history and what i'm really excited to jump into now is what you're doing now because i know you're absolutely killing it you're on track to make about 500k this year which is totally insane um, and I think what's really cool about this is there's so many ways in the world to make a lot of money if you work really, really hard. And this type of selling has been around for how long? Five thousand. I mean, since humans have been alive, essentially, right? I mean, trade and <laughs> all the ancient trade yeah. routes and and kind of going door to door. So, uh, so there, this is a good way to make a lot of money if you have the right mentality and you put in the work and follow a process. So I really want to pick your brain on this stuff. And yeah. let's just let's just kick it off, man. Like, wh- where are you nope. selling now? What's the company, and and how'd you get into it? Yeah, and I, I freaking love it because I look at selling door to door as being able to go in a neighborhood and print money. Mm-hmm. So literally, drop me off in any neighborhood in the country, and I can confidently tell you, uh, with a hundred percent certainty, I will make five to ten thousand dollars within my first full week and any, as long as it's not like severe, severe poverty, mm-hmm. upper end, middle class, whatever it is. So, you know, it's door to door is a beautiful thing. So you had asked, um, sorry, I forgot the question. I got excited about it. I just got more excited about it. <laughs> no, what's the company uh, what, called and, and you know, what's the product that you're selling? Sure. So I sell Vivint, 
V I V I N T, smart homes. So smart homes is security. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's like if you've ever seen a TV commercial where you can control your locks, like you know, lock and unlock your front door, your lights, your thermostats, like Google Nest. You can speak, and your house will cooperate, like Amazon Echo Alexa. You can close your garage door, and then you can speak with somebody if they're at your door, like a doorbell camera. And you can see all the cameras and security system all from your smartphone mm-hmm. from anyone anywhere in the world. Dang. So that's okay. So I've seen some of this technology. Um, I've seen components of it, not the, f- the full on robust package, like you just said. That's the so I, yeah. yeah. So originally I thought it was just more home security. This is much more comprehensive smart home stuff. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And part of the sale. So now we're really focusing more on the smart home, but I believe that the security is, a, is an essential ingredient and, you know, sales are based on emotion and then they're justified logically. Mm-hmm. So with this, you know, you can really build a lot of emotion when it comes to protecting someone's family, but then, so they, they get it in large part because of that, but they love it because of all the automation. It's just super convenient and you're a tech savvy person. So the fact that you're kind of familiar and don't know a lot is actually a really good example of why it, it works so well door to door because it, it needs an explanation. So if you, if I could show it to you and then the price is reasonable, it, it actually is a relatively easy sale. Mm-hmm. The hard part is just getting to that point and knowing how to push somebody through the process or pull them preferably. Man, I remember when I was 13, we had my my home had a home invasion while my entire family was in it. Really? Bur- yeah, man. It was scariest, scariest shit ever. Like burglars, I, we think they were all drugged up or something. They ran through our sliding glass uh, door. You know, we have a, you, you've been in my house in Florida before. Yeah. It's, a, it's a small house. Uh, yeah. They ran through the back sliding glass door. My sister was sleeping on the couch. And oh this God. burglar's in my house, like three feet away from my sister, snatches her purse, snatch, like pulls a TV out of the wall. And like we, Whoa. And it, when they ran, they literally ran through the glass. And uh, my sister woke up because she heard like startling outside and saw this guy running full speed. It sounded like a bomb. Oh went, it sounded like a bomb went off. And, um, you know, my dad has a gun in his room. He comes running around the side, chasing this guy with a gun. I, I'm only uh, – 14 i go so you hit under the bed (laughs) (laughs) no i i thought literally i I thought i woke up thought i was in a dream because my sister was screaming and i thought she saw saw like a snake or something i didn't hear the the like explosion of glass and i ran out and there was and i didn't realize there's glass covering the ground i ran out over all this glass like sliced up my feet ran outside and there's this yellow pickup truck peeling around our house and it was it was you know obviously terrifying for my entire family and of course the next day we install a home security system and word got out in the neighborhood so some security company i think it was adt they came Mm -hmm. and just cleaned up the entire neighborhood because everyone was like oh my gosh we got to get home security and and it was like i mean it's the emotion of course we had a direct it had a direct effect on us but everyone else in the neighborhood was also emotionally disturbed and I'm pretty sure, you know, 80% of the neighbor, the houses in the neighborhood got, got home security pretty quickly after that. Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm assuming everyone's okay. Cause I've, I've, I know your family and every, everybody since then, but yeah. it's scary stuff, you know? So, you know, I've heard of scenarios where I sold an alarm system to a lady that had a home invasion and was raped. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, for me, you know, when I'm at the closing table and someone's giving pushback, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I look at it like it's my fault if that happens, yeah. if I don't close this customer. So that's interesting. Wow. It's important. Yeah. So take us through kind of a normal week 
of what you're doing now with this new company? Yeah, so we call it like preseason versus season or summer, right? Mm-hmm. So preseason for us is like a building, like you're building a car mm-hmm. and you know, you're just building and building and building it, and then summer we drive that thing mm-hmm. and we crank it up. So we're about to finish our preseason. So I've just been recruiting, selling a little bit. It's been selling about two days a week and I've done really well. I'm leading the, the uh, leading the whole division of the state with that. But uh, it's really just a matter of recruiting and then training mm-hmm. my guys and gals and then selling a little bit. And then summertime is a uh, very, very structured. And then we work six days a week. So basically 80, 90% of our money, if not more, is made over the summer. So four and a half months. So during that time, Monday through Friday, you know, we have a uh, 11 a.m. Uh, correlation is what we call it, it's a meeting. Uh-huh. And we recognize everybody for the day before. And then we do about 45 minutes of training to solid, like turn our guys into like sales ninjas and like really hard training. And then we all go to what we call turf. That's where we knock. And then um, we knock from 1 p.m. Till 9:30 p.m. plus three more doors. Oh my gosh, that's exhausting. Yeah. yeah, and then it is, and then Saturday, and then we all come back, whatever, train a little bit more, and then Saturdays. That's if you thought that was exhausting. Saturday morning, we uh, we have the meeting at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. and then you know we're, we're doing our best to be on turf by like 10:30, 11 the latest, and we're still knocking until 9:30 at night plus three doors. Dude, so many questions popping up in my head from that. Okay, first off, how do you? How do you define turf and who get who gets what turf? Yeah, so uh, a lot of people ask me that, and the answer is actually pretty pretty broad. Mm-hmm. So middle class is is ideal. Some people like it a little bit lower. Some people like a little bit higher. But ultimately, it makes sense everywhere. And so we we just pick middle class. We look for we run credit, and we do all this in an iPad. So we want to have a little bit higher. A credit area. We're going to Minneapolis this summer. They have the highest average credit score of all the big cities in the country. And um, the way it works is we pick a neighborhood, right? And we'll probably give somebody about uh, about 150 houses or so, give or take. And it's it's theirs. So when they we give everybody iPads, and you can open it up, and you have like a square, and there's little circles within it which represent houses. And then you can click on the house. You can put a status. And then you could also just build the package there, run the credit, take payment, and then you can even dispatch the technician because we install it the same day. Wow. We install it within – yeah, we knock on a door, and then the technician's there within 15 to 30 minutes, and they install that thing right then. Wow, that's sick. Yeah. It's an important part. Actually, a really important part. How do you guys – so I know you live in Tampa, Florida right now. Is that where mm-hmm. you'll be rocking out this summer? No, no, we're going to be in Minneapolis in Minnesota. Okay, so how did that how you pick that land? Yeah, so a number of things last summer I was in Jersey and everyone kind of hated it there, but I I loved it. I made a lot of money. It was good. Great people, but it was 100 degrees on some days or higher knocking and that was just horrible that aspect. You're, you're kind of a sweaty guy anyways. <laughs> I'm super sweaty guy. <laughs> For sure, I'm always hot. Uh, yeah, I got my shirt off now just cuz I was hot. So <laughs> so Seriously, so I think I'm the only nerd that wears an arm sweatband while I'm knocking, actually. So my number one priority this summer, now that uh, I'm managing, was I'm going to pick a place that's way colder. So that was the first thing. The second thing is, you know, we want to make sure they have a good uh, average income, a good strong economy, so that way we can sell big packages, make some extra money, and they can afford it. And then the third thing was, you know, good credit. And ideally, a little bit of crime. Yeah. So I could see that's how we there. So so we wanted to be. One more thing. We wanted to be far enough 
from the base so that people can't just quit <laughs> and go home like super easily. <laughs> I love it's that. It's true. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's kind of like uh, they used to, you know, the old war stories is they'd pull up to an, you know, pull up to a land and then they would burn they, the bridge. Yeah. Burn, burn the, the bridge. bridge. There you go. Yeah, so so did you, did you pick Minneapolis or is it, that was that an organization decision? That, so we have two managers per office mm-hmm. and my manager from last summer, his name is Addison. He's awesome. We're co-managing. So it was our decision. You know, we had one of the top picks uh, just because of our performance mm-hmm. and we chose there. And so last year you were doing only selling and now you're doing selling plus management. Correct. So, and how much did you make last year in Jersey? So I didn't even start until May 3rd or May 4th. And so it was uh, five months, and I was able to make over. I was able to make one hundred eighty-one thousand dollars in five oh, months. Dude, that's ins- that's so insane. Yeah, it's cool. The other cool part about that is I had never even made half of that in a full year. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the really incredible part. Well, I did see. Uh, I had a chance to see you. When was it? Two or three months ago in Tampa, we actually went indoor skydiving. There's these new. What does it call it? In flight or something? Uh, I think it's. I fly. I, I fly. Yeah, we did this indoor skydiving, which was sick, and I got to ride in your new Mercedes AMG, which is amazing. Good choice. I know you're looking at a Thanks. couple other ones. I'm I'm happy you went with that one. How did you? Yeah. Uh, how and when did you get that car? Because I knew you used to kind of drive a beater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I I thought it was great, but I guess not. So it's kind of funny story actually. It's a Chevy Equinox. I still have it, by the way, and um, so. I was, I kind of, I was going to get a nice car. I was thinking about it and, uh, you know, I'm, I try to be frugal and at least somewhat. Um, and then I, I was doing an interview and I recruited this girl and we're at Starbucks. We're about to head over to the office. I just showed her my pay stubs because a lot of people are like, I don't know if I believe that five months, 181 grand. So I just show my pay stubs and, um, she's like, wow, this is great. So we're about to get in the cars to, to go to uh, the office right down the street. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. She's like, if you made so much money, why do you have such a shitty car? And I'm like, my head dropped. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, no joke. I did get her to sign up. The next day, she never ever responded again. <laughs> so now, the other thing that happened, like a few days later, is one of my one of my reps, Demetrius Sykes. I love him. He's like, you know, you, you should get a cool car, man. I'm like, and he's like, real like soft about it. I'm like, yeah, you think so? You say, yeah. I'm like, would that motivate you? And he's like, dude, I'd be so much more motivated if you had a cool car because I want a cool car. But you know, if you had one, that'd be really neat. You know, show me the dream. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right. I'll tell you what. I'm gonna buy a car. Yeah, I'll buy you a cool car. So I was like, what kind of car? He's like, and he named a couple. That, that being one of them. So no joke. This is on like a, I think a Tuesday, Wednesday, and then on Saturday, I bought my AMG. <laughs> So, so you, he always says it's his car, but he lets me drive it. There you go. There you go. So so that probably helps with recruiting. But you'll when you do door-to-door sales, you're not actually driving to those those houses, right? You're kind of driving, parking, and then walking? Correct. Okay. So I'll, no pull, I'll no pull one my has. AMG up to the door, though. Yeah, yeah, that was my question. So is that do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Like, Do people think that you're making too much money? or? Yeah, it's possible. I think, I think it comes down to confidence. So there might be some people that say that. The way I look at it is, look, they're dealing with the best in the country, and uh, like I'm credible. Like I'm not just some you know 
burglars because that's mm-hmm. one thing they're always thinking like is this guy coming here to kill us and rob my house or right. you know is he legit and i'm like so I'll, like if i have a specific house and i've spoken to them before and i'm pulling up to it i will absolutely park right in front of their house and uh if they're like debating anything we're like well look we're the best i mean look you, you saw me pull up in the car i mean mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll, I'll use it to my advantage if if i see appropriate nice so are there any places that you definitely won't go like really really you know, poverty stricken areas or are there places that you're not allowed to go solicit, you know, I guess they call it solicitation. Are there places that have signs up that say you, you actually cannot go to those areas? Uh, I'll answer the last question first. And I got a, a big smirk on my face. So yeah, there's absolutely places that we cannot knock. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love to knock those areas. <laughs> <laughs> no one else, no one, no one else is going to knock there. <laughs> yeah. I've got, I've got pictures of, uh, signs that i've seen on the door enormously huge no soliciting do not knock on my door blah 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 and i will absolutely i will knock that door first yeah and uh, i'll sell them half the time you know they're like did you see the sign i'm like wait what are you what are you talking about you know right. <laughs> so i just kind of play stupid and, and be like oh by the way anyway so the reason why i helped your neighbor is and i just go right into it mm-hmm. and then is there places that you just won't go either because it's too dangerous or it's just there's just no way you're going to be able to actually make sales in there um i've not yet ever been in a, uh, a neighborhood that i was not willing to knock it ever mm-hmm. and uh the only re- place i wouldn't want to knock is if it's like if it's like you know what is it uh pro- project whatever the something Projects, five yeah. Yeah, there's something uh, certain certain type of housing that government pays for. Huh. I can't think of the. Term. We'll but, just say uh, government yeah. subsidized. There you go, government subsidized. If it's poverty, then I'm, I don't want to knock there. But other than that, I'll knock anywhere, especially if someone else doesn't want to knock there, uh-huh. just to kind of prove a point. There's sales everywhere. Right. In a, so, in a low end neighborhood, there's crime. In a higher neighborhood, they they just want peace of mind against it. So for sure, makes sense. Take us through. Okay, when you go up to a house. How many – you said you would knock from one thirty till 9.30 at night plus three. How many houses in a typical day is that? So the funny thing is the worse your day, the more doors you knock. You know, A lot of people think the more doors you knock uh, on a day-to-day basis, the more sales. Huh. But when you're selling a lot. You're actually in the house. You're in houses all day. Mm-hmm. So a few – two Saturdays ago, I had a really rough Saturday. I, I only made one sale. Um, you know, a lot of people would call that a good day, but for me, it was, it was a rough day and I knocked, uh, I was working my ass off though. I'd knocked 117 doors, which for me is enormous. <laughs> if I knock over 40 doors, you can just assume that I had a really rough day Okay. because, you know, I should be in houses. So what would be a good day? How many, uh, when you're selling a lot, how many houses would you be in? So, well, I'll answer it in terms of sales. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cause that can depend, but I'd say, um, an average day is selling two. You know, I'm I'm pleased if I sell three mm-hmm. on a Saturday. I'm pleased if I sell four. So you know, I'm either closing every single time, or you know, there's a handful of houses that you know I don't. It it, it kind of it it actually fluctuates over time, but I'm, I keep actually really good track of my numbers. Mm-hmm. So um, over the the long term, you know, that it always equals out as far as. Uh, statistics. Gotcha. The short term, it could be all over the board. You're on pace this year to make 500k. What is what does that break down to in terms of? Because I assume now you're making money on the people that you manage, whereas last year you were only doing door to door sales, so you only had that one revenue channel. What does that break down to in in terms of your personal sales and then of your management? Sure. 
Sure. I'd, I'd say it's approximately 60% mm-hmm. going to be uh, personal sales. Uh, so figure, you know, over 300 grand mm-hmm. from personal sales. And then, you know, the remaining, you know, 200 or so is going to be from leading. From leading, from from people that from you recruit and, yeah, and bring into into your your team. Yeah, absolutely. And, and good. I was going to say, what what does that break down to in terms of time commitments? So if you have you're doing a full schedule of door to door sales, and then you also have to manage and help help your team perform. How much how much management is involved in the people that you bring in? Yeah. So the biggest thing that really teaches people, you, you got to have some base training. But I find you know role playing and just providing consistent structure and training. And then if someone's not selling after three days, uh, and this could be after they've already sold a lot or not, if someone goes three days, we call it bageling. You know, think of a bagel, it's a zero. Uh-huh. If someone bagels three days in a row, then they have to watch me and then they'll watch me sell. And then usually it's just a confidence thing. They're like, Oh, okay, I can do that. And, uh, but the training is, you know, so figure right before that meeting from the moment I wake up. And then when I get back, you know, and, and I don't usually stop after three doors mm-hmm. unless, unless I've done really, really well for the day. Then I'll, I'm just going to keep going until, you know, until. Yeah. So, but then I'll be on the phone until midnight or one, you know, with my reps and I'll call every single one of them and I'm, I'm going to help them solve the challenges that they had that day. Take us through the strategy. So when you're going up to a house, you have a goal in mind, which is kind of, I don't even, I don't even want to assume anything. Just take us through like what, what happens when you knock on that door from the first moment that they open and then kind of what are the goals in between to get into the house, to have them look at material and then to close the sale from that kind of take us through those steps. Sure. So I look at it. I look at myself as like a, you know, undercover sales ninja Mm -hmm. and every little, 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 little bitty thing contributes to the sale or hurts the sale. So it all comes out to like the moment that I knock on the door, like I'm never looking at the door uh, just to give you like a real specific example. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking away because otherwise someone's going to peek out the window and they're going to like wave like, no, 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 we're good. So the first goal is just to get them to answer the, answer the door and to come outside or to open the door at the very little. (laughs) And uh, sometimes, sometimes that can be tough in some neighborhoods. You know, and it's, it's all about steps of the sale. Uh So let's just say I'm having a really tough time. Like, what do you want? You know, I'm like, who is it? And I'm like answering one word answers, very soft, like muddled. Then if I can't get them to open the door, my next goal is as simple as them going to the side and going to the window. And then from there, my next goal is for them to open the window, you know, obviously starting to build trust. Mm-hmm. And then little by little, then it's to get them to open the door. And then it's to, you know, generate some interest and you got to break preoccupation. So whatever they're doing, even if they're watching Jerry Springer, you know, in their head, they're busy. So you have to completely break that preoccupation and then you can generate some interest and then you just need to get in the house, which is absolutely the next most important ingredient because they say on the door, you're a pest in the house, you're a guest. I love so, this stuff. This is great. Tell, tell, tell yeah. me more. Tell me more. <laughs> so whatever they say on the doors, it's just total BS. It's not true. We call it a smoke screen. So what? Like the other day, I knock on a door, and uh, this huge guy, and I, I've got a, I've got actually that same guy, Demetrius, I mentioned. He's shadowing me, and uh, that's what we call when someone's watching. And uh, this guy is like really big, and he just comes right up to me, like as if like he's gonna just hurt me, and uh, and uh, he he like squares up with me. He's like, what do you want? And I'm like, hey, man, I'm just supposed to speak to the homeowners and just kind of mirroring and matching them. And he's, so I go through my pitch and then he's like, dude, I got 12 guns. Uh, I, I used to be a police officer. I've got, you know, three dogs are all over 100 pounds. I hope somebody comes in here. And, you know, 
in that scenario, you just need to kind of stroke their ego for a moment yeah. and also let them know that you don't care. So I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I love guns and dogs are awesome too. I, uh, perhaps I could even like wrestle with yours. That'd be great. So you don't want to wrestle with these 160 pounds. I'm like, yeah, I love dogs. Anyways, I'm here for a completely different reason. So the reason why we're here and you need to be able to bring that same level of intensity that he has mm-hmm. to disarm him. Now, this same guy, I then got in the house. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was trying to not let me get involve his wife, which is a really important thing. You have to involve both spouses. And then you also like, you need to take control. So all the way down to like telling them where to sit. Right. So <laughs> like, I literally will move. I will tell them to literally move seats uh-huh. if I need to establish more control. And if I want them in a certain position, I will literally make them stand up and move. So, um, so I go, I'm going through the process, going through the process. And at a certain point, the guy, uh, the guy just totally drops his guard. Mm-hmm. And it wound up being a really easy sale. I just had to maintain that control. So he never, ever brought up the guns again and the dogs again, except for the fact that, you know, he liked the fact that it would give him the heads up so he could use his gun. And, you know, then we, we sold him fire protection. So if there's a fire, it would save his dogs. You know, was, I mean, was there actually dogs in the house? They were outside. Oh. And they were pretty big, but they, they were super friendly. They licked me. Like, they're not going to hurt anyone. <laughs> they, li- they, so, licked, they licked the sweat off of you, you mean? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right? So, you know, so I think it's a matter of moving them through the process. And I can be as specific as you want as far as getting them, you know, little by little bought in. Mm-hmm. What, but let me ask you, uh, at what point during the meeting or I assume almost all sales happen in the house. Very few probably happen at the door. Is that correct? Um, I would say about 10, maybe 20, probably 10% of the sales happen outside. If I can't get in the house mm-hmm. and it's like, and maybe they say it or I'll say it like, yeah, if you're not comfortable with me coming inside, it's no problem. We can just do it out here. I, I actually don't ever need to go in the house. Mm-hmm. I mean, my technician will, but I don't need to, it doesn't matter to me. So you want to just sit down here, you know? Yeah. So that's like 10% of them. But uh, yeah, so the rest are happening in the house. At what point during the meeting do you do you feel that you have a very good chance at getting the sale? Is it something? Is it a certain question that they ask, or when they look at a certain material that you feel like, okay, I have probably a ninety percent chance of closing this? If if we want to measure it, at, at what point do I feel that I have a ninety percent chance? Mm-hmm. I would say so. Part of the my process is, and I can walk you to the exact. I have actual seven steps of the sale. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is right before I'm going to drop price. Um, we have the uh, a certain uh, series of questions that I ask to build emotion and to get them com- to get them to sell themselves on it. Mm-hmm. And when the customer cooperates during that process, th- I'd say there's a 90% chance that I can close them. If not, it's like code red. Uh, 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 you know, Houston, we've got a massive problem here. We need to change something. Mm-hmm. And and at what point do you say, okay, I've, I've I've lost this sale. Better to go spend my time at a new place versus trying to really salvage this this sale. One of two scenarios, um, after either A, I've been kicked out of the house, <laughs> okay, so that'll happen. I mean, uh, if if they cooperate during those series of questions, right, then that tells me they want the system, so it's my job to help them get the system, and they have to get it right now. I'm not even leaving my phone number, literally, if they're not getting it now, so it's now or never, but I won't say those words, so like, you know, I'll, I'll go 10, even 15 rounds or as many as I need to. And like, they'll tell me no 10 or 15 times and I'll still go. But, um, if they're not, and the other thing would just be, if they're not being rational, like if they're just being completely irrational and there's like no logic with what they're saying and I can't get them to be logical, mm-hmm. 
then I'll just I'll just tell them be like, hey, perhaps it's not a good fit. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and give it to your neighbors. And there's nothing more satisfying than walking away from someone who's who's being you know just totally uh, non logical and just literally selling their exact neighbor. And then you see the other guy outside, and then you point to like the sign and say, yeah, uh, perhaps it wasn't a good fit, but they're thrilled they got it. Nice. And then. I'll, yeah. What is it always in sales? Like, if someone says, "Let me think about it," I'll call you back. Is that almost a hundred percent never gonna work out? It's a hundred percent not working out. Wow. Okay. Cool. So it's, I don't need my phone number. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so it's it, it is really on the spot or or not at all. Yeah. Last summer, I bought some business cards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like midsummer, because uh, I, I let a customer sell me on the fact that it would be a good idea if I had them, which I knew it wasn't, but I just, all right, I'll buy some business cards, right? Mm-hmm. And most people in the world will probably listen to this podcast and they're saying, of course you should have business cards. If you're in door-to-door sales, it's impulsive purchase. And right. I disagree. So I realized when I had them, I was starting to use that as a crutch. So people would ask for them or whatever, and I would give that to them. And then I realized I hadn't gotten a single phone call. What am I doing? And I literally just threw them all out. Huh. I'm like, look, it's now or never. And the, you know, Sure, they can buy, call me later, but they're absolutely not going to. So I'm better off just realizing that the only time I can really influence them is when I'm in front of them. Mm-hmm. And it's not worth it for me to put more time into somebody that I can't close. Gotcha. How much body language do you try to read on people? Or is it, does it like when you go to a door, does everyone open kind of a little bit skittish and they all have some body language? It might not be the same at each sure. door, but. Do you try to read and play to that body language depending on what you see? Absolutely. So out of communication, you know, 55% of it is body language. Mm -hmm. 37% is, you know, tonality, the way you say something. And then 8% of it is the actual words. So the words actually mean the least of the whole equation, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, man... You've done a lot of cold calling in your life. You've done a lot of door-to-door sales. I mean, do you still get butterflies when you do this stuff? Like when you start your occasionally, day? yeah, occasionally. Because I think yeah. I would have a lot of like, even if I went and followed you and shadowed you, I think I would have butterflies. Even just being, you know, a witness to everything. It's like, Possibly. yeah, it's it's. It'd be fun. You should. <laughs> I might do that. I might take you up on that next time I come through, <laughs> through Tampa. So, dude, of all the stuff that you've been doing, all this door-to-door stuff, all the cold calling, I mean, you must have some crazy stories, like between you and your team <laughs> or people that you've worked with. Like, is anything anything wild worth sharing? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll throw a couple out there. Um, you know, women hitting on me. That that's definitely happened. Um, you know, I've heard of reps having guns pulled on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the cops p- literally pulling me out of the house. <laughs> I've had the cops literally knock on a door and I'm about to close the deal. And they're like, we need to speak to him. <laughs> and I'm like, so what happened? Can, the, can the, wait? The, the homeowner like <laughs> called the police on you secretly while no, you're in no. their house? <laughs> no, cus- I, I like to think that my customers love me. I'm super respectful. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll fight to the end as far as for the sale, you know, very politely though. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it was a neighbor. I had sold one guy and then I was walking to another house, uh, like a callback, uh, the spouse wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And then I guess somebody saw me walking. Um, it was probably a no listening neighborhood. Who knows? I don't really pay attention to that anymore. Um, and I think somebody had called the cops and then I went back to, uh, another callback cause I, you know, that person wasn't there. I got in the house and, um, and the cops knocked on the door and I'm like, I'm like looking at the customer. I'm like, this is kind of weird, huh? She's like, this is very weird. I'm concerned. I'm like, 
well, let's just base it on this. If um, if he doesn't take me to jail, then you'll know that I'm legitimate and that I don't have any background issues, mm-hmm. and then we can just we can finish. And I was just I'm like hoping that I can get her to agree to that. She's like, well, let's just see what they say. So needless to say, I, I didn't get that sale, but I still. <laughs> <laughs> good story man i remember you used to go with cutco you had a folder and you used to have cartoon drawings and like crayon drawings in there <laughs> yeah, that, that when you yeah you would get like you would get the kids of people you sold to to make you you know cartoon drawings and then you had to have letters from people that you sold to like thanking you and saying that you, and that was i thought that was an awesome little approach and a piece of material to take with you do you do anything like that for this for this current one you know, I totally forgot about that. I, I don't. I should. I, uh, I probably should, but it's a good way to keep kids busy if they're bugging you. Mm-hmm. And you got to show love to everybody in the house, including uh-huh. the, the annoying animals. So if you can get them like drawing you smiley faces or whatever you can think of, it'll keep them busy. And it, it makes the parents like you that much more mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, they're a good person. They don't care about my super freaking annoying kid. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I, I, I'm really curious to know your perspective on what makes a good salesperson? I know what, what makes you a good salesperson, but you've had so much experience of watching people come into sales positions under you and into the organizations. Do you think that it's mostly a personality type like A versus B, or does it come down purely to work ethic and, and kind of commitment? What do you think, you know, characteristics of someone who can be successful in sales are? Sure. I'll, I'll give you four of them. So the first thing is you got to have a positive attitude. You know, you got to have a positive attitude. Second thing is work ethic. You know, I am, you know, I'm leading Florida right now, but I'm not the most skilled in Florida, but I definitely work harder than anyone else. And, you know, the harder you work and when you combine it with the third key, which is being coachable, constantly learning, you know, demanding to learn from everything, then you wind up getting pretty good and you can beat in sales. You can beat a lot of others just by outworking them. So the first thing is positivity. Second thing is going to be a work ethic. Third thing is being coachable. And then the fourth thing is actually what you said, commitment. You know, I think ultimately, you know, the harder the sale, for instance, door to door sales is really hard. That's one of the reasons why they pay so much, Mm -hmm. but it's really just an initial learning curve. That's really hard. So the like in our industry, you know, we like to say that the average first sale takes 30 hours of knocking. 30 wow. hours. Yeah, so that's really discouraging like, you know, maybe get 100 people, maybe more telling you no, but the reality is once you make that first sale, you know, you start popping off. My favorite example is I got a, a my top rep right now, Chris Aarons. You know, I got him to quit like a $52,000 a year uh, salary job. He was actually about to move to Dallas, Texas. Met him at a bar, uh, thanks to the AMG, actually, mm-hmm. that contributed. And, um, uh, wait, you met, met, met a guy at a bar with, because of your AMG? Sounds a little Yeah, well, he, yeah right. <laughs> Sounds like it should be the op- a different wait, story. Wait, but, yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Don't let your girlfriend Not, hear that story. Yeah, right. Uh, so she, he was just, he was saying that his car could beat me. Mm-hmm. And um, so, anyways, <laughs> that's kind of funny. So, uh, uh, he's like, look, if you can show me that it's legitimate, you're not lying. And if you can um, also show me the proof of the money, then I'll do it. I'll quit my, my job. So I was, I, you know, showed him my pay stubs, whatever. So he started, he saw me make five sales in two days and he's like, this is easy. I'm like, I just want you to know I'm really experienced. It's not easy. I want you to expect it to be challenging. And like anyone else that's confident and that's going to do well, they think they're going to sell the first day. So you got to set the right expectations. So after six days of bageling, not selling anything, he was super discouraged, And um, but he had already quit the other job, which is good because he was all in, burning the, burning the boats like you said. 
So six days, he's like wanting to quit. We, we, uh, we, I'm like, yo, just trust me. Trust the process. I promise you it's going to work. The question is which door. The next day, he sold two. The day after that, he sold two. And the day after that, he sold three. Boom. So he wound up making way more than – I think it was four or five grand in those uh, three days. But he had six really challenging days before that. So if you're just committed to push through and trust the process, it always works. It's just harder to know that it's going to work before you see it with your own eyes. Yeah, definitely. And I, I know a long time ago, I was at a dentist off, like getting my teeth cleaned. And I was, it was a really nice doctor and where he was talking about what I wanted to do in life. And he told me that the number one profession to make money is entertainment. And that included, you know, being a celebrity or a sports star. And the number two profession to make money is sales and then everything else underneath that followed. And that really opened up my eyes to how much money you can make in sales. But to be honest, Brian, you're the only person I know that's doing sales of any sort like this. And you're obviously doing extremely, extremely well. But I think so many people are, it's almost like it's a forgotten trade in a sense, because now everyone's thinking about like the internet and building tech Mm -hmm. businesses in a sense, but you're doing it and you're killing it. And it's important for people to know like this is this is available to anybody. You don't have to be super yeah. qualified to, to 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 get a position like this. You just have to have the right attitude and the right work ethic, right? 100%. Dude, so tell us what is, you know, what are your goals? What are you trying to do with this company and or what are your future plans for, you know, for work and business? Sure. So, you know, right now I'd say three to five years, probably closer to three, is um, I'm going to stay with Vivint and just really milk it, you know, make as much money as possible. And um, the other aspect is I'm really, you know, I think mastery is is a forever process, but I'm really working on mastery of, of course, sales, but also leadership and developing others. And just, you know, it's a lot, it's really fulfilling to help somebody else make a ton of money. So um, focus on leadership. I want to have a full cycle. So I'm going to have, you know, a you know, handful of assistant managers this summer. The following summer, I'm going to help them lead their own offices and then develop their own assistant managers. So I want that full cycle and uh, just really, you know, to have, you know, I'd like to have a million dollars saved just from this, you know, within the next three years. And then I'm going to, I'm definitely going to be starting my, uh, my own businesses again. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what, but you know, just really hoarding cash right now. So that way I can do that. So on this podcast, we talked about all sides of investing, of course, investing in the traditional sense of putting money in stocks, bonds, and all in different types of investment vehicles. But we also talk a lot about investing in yourself, learning new skills, investing in, in networking and travel and, and, uh, and, and trying new things uh, to, to further your profession and skill set. So it seems like you are heavily investing in yourself now. Is there any other type of investing that you want to do with this extra money that you're saving? Or is it all being kind of focused on, on uh, a future business opportunity? Sure. So this might hurt some people's feelings, but I'm really hoping that the real estate market tanks and and when it does, I plan on scooping up, you know, a handful of uh, rental properties and, uh, you know, just generate some rental income, uh, passive income. So that'd be great. But uh, really, I want to uh, I'm investing some in the, you know, in the standard uh, in investments, but I want to have enough cash so I can really uh, ultimately my goal is to become an angel investor and just invest in a lot of startups. You know, I'm very fortunate. To, I've, I've raised money before for other businesses that I've started, and uh, it inspired me uh, how much of a positive influence you can be on people. And naturally, you know, it's uh, uh, it's it's obviously a great vehicle, 
to either A, lose a ton of money or B, make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to be fun either way. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. So Cool, man. I'm in, I'm, uh, one last question just in terms of, you know, it seems like you learned how to sell, do sales all through experience in the process. Do you have any good books? And you mentioned you have like you have a seven-step process on learning how to sell. Do you have any any material that's worth sharing that people should definitely read to to learn how to sell better, especially books? If you have any recommendations, sure, sure. Specific to sales, um, let me look at my bookshelf now. So, anything from Dan S. Kennedy is really good. Um, on my desk right now, um, I've read this a few times. Uh, it's called Influence by Robert oh, Cialdini. Yeah. Yeah. C yeah. C I A L D I N I. Mm-hmm. Robert Cialdini. Uh, it's called Influence: The Science and Practice of Persuasion. Dude, you could read and, that book uh, like three or four times and, for and sure. continue bringing bringing away takeaways. Absolutely. Tom Hopkins, great author, and then Brian Tracy. He's really good. Brian with an I. Mm-hmm. And um, I've probably listened to hundreds of hours of of him and his training. And um, I think experience those number one. You got to have a great coach, great leader. And uh, one of the reasons why I'm selling for Vivint is while I do really well, there's other people that just, you know, do so much better. And, you know, when you can learn from them, you can just keep bringing your game to the next level. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important aspect is just knowing like when I when I don't sell somebody, I just assume that somebody in the world could have. And it's my job to figure out how. That's awesome. I, I love that vision and that mentality. So it's almost let's see, it's April, just April yeah. Okay. It's early Third. April right now. So you should be kicking off your your summer swing pretty soon, right? Yeah. I uh, I am flying a week from this Wednesday. I'm wow. pumped. And do you have a – are you still recruiting for your team or do you have a team in place that's going to work under you? Yeah. Uh, we are absolutely still recruiting, looking for some more sales studs, studettes. Mm-hmm. And you know, if they have experience, awesome. If they don't, as long as they're, again, positive – trainable, really good work ethic, then, you know, you can teach anyone to do it. So I've got about 10 more positions that I can fit on my team. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to kind of throw some money out there as far as like what would be fair expectations. If someone doesn't have sales experience in the course of four and a half months, and uh, as long as they work hard and the trainable, good attitude, I'd say I can help them earn about forty to fifty thousand dollars in four and a half months is pretty solid money. Wow. And um, 10K a month. yeah. Yeah, that's sick. And it, if they do have sales experience, then yeah, you know, I don't like to over promise, but I'd say fifty to seventy-five, maybe a hundred thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars—the first four and a half months, maybe, maybe a lot more if they're really killers. Right, and, and you, uh, it's I, well, completely repeatable. Yeah, because you made a hundred and over hundred and eighty last year, but you had yeah. sales experience for. So that that's available to anyone. Yeah. I'm just hesitant to promise somebody that because I don't know what they can really do, and. Um, I, my goal, by the way, when I went there was to sell to make a hundred grand, and I thought one hundred twenty-five would be just wonderful. And then I still made a lot more. So, I mean, someone can make three hundred grand, but I'm just not comfortable telling uh, an individual that because if they make a hundred grand, and I told them two hundred grand, then they'd be upset with me. Right. But if I tell them a hundred grand, and then they make you know more than that, then they're gonna be really happy with me. So, if any listeners are out there, no are interested or know someone who would be interested in doing this contact Ryan. We'll leave information in the show notes, uh, for the company. Sure. And if you have any, any more material, Brian, like you mentioned the, the seven points of sales stuff, like 
any more information about you, we'd love to share it. This stuff's super interesting. I think it can be yeah. applied to any type of business, any type of sales, any type of marketing. It's all it's all important stuff to uh, to know and become familiar with. So, dude, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story. It's been super entertaining and helpful. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Man, Brian is a sales beast and he's kind of pumped me up. I, I almost kind of want to take a summer off and just be like, you know what? Let me see if I can crush a couple hundred grand and use it to invest in something and just, you know, it almost sounds fun. Oh man, you get so much confidence from that. Hey, s- scheduling guests for this podcast is going to be a breeze after listening to that episode. Yeah, I know. So I think the very first tip that would benefit everyone, right, regardless if you want to get in sales or not, is the mindset part of it, where mm-hmm. if we tell ourselves, you know, we're not good at something, it doesn't, you know, it, it might be true at the time, but then also prevents us from becoming good at it. So I think that, even just that that little sentence that he said was so key. You know, I'm not a huge believer in saying, you know, like I, you know, I am, um, you know, blah blah blah, like the smartest person in the world. If I'm not, because, you know, the my rational logical side knows I'm not, you know, the smartest person in the world. But if I, you can still reframe yourself. Instead of calling yourself stupid, you can say I had the potential to, you know, become a lot mm-hmm. smarter, or you know, I'm going to read these books and I'm going to gain the knowledge from it. Yeah. Well, all of this is mindset and it's also a lot of confidence. And so in the story that he was telling about the one buddy that he got to come in and for the first six days in a row, he didn't sell anything. And then the next day, seventh day, he sold two and then the next day he sold two. And then he was making, you know, a few thousand dollars a week. It, it really does come down to confidence. And I've been there like I did sales for half a summer and it was you know, like I said in the episode, it's I didn't feel like it was for me, but the skills that I learned in it, I've applied to every single thing throughout life. So in that way, it's it's been some of the best practice that I've ever been able to participate in. And dude, imagine doing this. Like if he can do this in a year and make 500K, let's say he's, he's spending between taxes and spending 200K, he could he could make and save 300K a year. Do that for three to four years. You got over a million bucks. Yeah, I, I think that's his goal right there. And, you know, even just making 180K over a five month period and then <laughs> using the rest of that time to, to travel or backpack or yeah. work on a startup or another business, I think that's, that's actually a great idea as well. I don't think everyone needs to go his route and go into the managerial route. If I can make 180K in five months of just working my, my ass off. And I actually almost think that during those five, five months, it sounds like you are traveling with them. So in my mind, it's it's like that American Honey situation. Have, have you seen mm-hmm. that movie? No, no, no. But I get an idea of what you're talking about. Yeah. So you're like, you know, you're just traveling around living in like motels or, you know, wherever with, with everyone and you're not spending any money. You're just working six days a week. Yep. Guys like Grant Cardone, who we listen to, uh, with the 10X Rule, he has a book called mm-hmm. Sell or Be Sold. And in that book, he talks a lot about how every single person is in sales regardless if you if you think so or not and a sure. lot of what he teaches is really just motivation and mindset yeah i mean totally and i think brian's sort of like the michael jordan in sales of a sense because a lot of people know michael jordan he got cut from his varsity basketball team right and then he came on to be one of the best or if not the best basketball player of all time brian got fired from cutco right like no one gets fired from cutco he got fired from cutco and now he's stayed persistent and now he's going on to actually just – I mean 500K a year. How many people do we know that's making 500K a year? He told me that in his fifth month at uh, at this new company, he made 60 grand. Like that's unheard of and that's 
That's crazy. So it shows that that's out there for anybody. I mean, anyone can go out there if they have the right mindset and they and they're persistent, they can do it. And and listen, door-to-door sales, cold calling, it's definitely not for everybody. But I guarantee those skills that you learn, even if you just read a, a few books and get in the mindset of this stuff, those skills that you learn are applicable to so many other professions and trades in life that will help you to grow and, and uh, prosper. I think if nothing else, this just kind of reminds me that there always is a solution out there. And whether mm-hmm. I choose to do it or not is my choice. But I can't complain saying, oh, life is so hard. You know, I can only get a, you know, my boss will only pay me $15 an hour. Yeah. You know, or, or you know, or my boss won't give me a raise, whatever it is. Cause you have the option to quit your job and say, I'm just going to knock on doors. And it sounds like as long as you have the hustle, you don't need prior experience. You don't need, um, you know, the, like, a fancy education, you can just yeah. say, you can just show up and say, Hey, I'm willing to work my ass off. I'm willing to knock doors. You know, I'm w- willing to work commission only. There's a couple of great books. Uh, one book that Brian mentioned was Influence. Johnny, you and I have talked about Influence, I think, before. It's also in our our reading list on investlikeaboss.com. That's a fantastic book. And it is really a book that you can read three or four times and take new takeaways from it every single time. And there's one other book that I just thought of. Uh, when you and I got on the phone, Johnny, and I'm not sure if you've read it or not or heard of it, but let me know. It's called Cash Vertising. Yes, I have. I've actually recommended that to um, our our podcast and her aunt, as well as everyone who needs some help with copywriting or just kind of you know get uh-huh. the, the the sales tips in there. So I think that is a that's kind of covers both the things that we're talking about, right? It's got sales strategies, but it's actually more applicable to content and advertising, right? Which is, is is much more what you and I are now doing. But there's just, there's just so much overlap in the strategies that I think when you arm yourself with this information, you put it into practice, you're going to get significant improvements in whatever you're doing. But also the one thing with sales is unless you're, you're Brian and you end up moving up and hiring teams, it's not as scalable as some of the things that we like to target, which kind of can can have access to a global audience via the internet. So that was one of the immediate things for me is I wanted to take the sales experience I learned, but apply it to something on the web that has essentially an unlimited audience uh, and unlimited scale. Yeah. And I definitely agree with that. I I think the the strategy would be if you guys are in a position right now where either you don't have any money or you're in debt or you, you know, you don't like your job and you just, and you're willing to work hard and you just want, you know, and you're like, you're willing to hustle for a couple years or even a year to either get yourself out of debt or get some money so you can travel, get some money so you can start a business, or get some money so you can start investing. You know, suck it up. You know, work your ass off. And whether it's with Brian's company or a different sales company, you know, suck it up and just work your ass off for a year. You know, knock on doors, cold call, do whatever you have to do. And if you if you can save up a hundred grand, you're going to be so much better off. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these people are doing it in their 30s and 40s and they're making millions. I mean, the landlord was cold calling in his mid 30s and now he's owns, uh, I don't even know how much his his property uh, portfolio is worth, but it has to be in, it has to be close to a hundred million dollars, if not more. Um, Brian's obviously doing amazing and, and uh, hopefully will become a millionaire in a couple of years through doing this. So there's a lot of opportunity out there. I think it just comes down to hard work and persistence and sticking with this stuff. So the opportunity's I, I, there. Go and seize it. I do think that one thing that he made a really good point of, and he's kind of a living example, is you have to choose the right vehicle, the, the right 
you know, um, the right product because it sounds like he was very successful with Cutco or whatever other businesses, he, you know, he got into, uh, before his current one, but they had a, a, like a ceiling where even if he right. was the number one salesperson, he could only make a hundred grand just because, you know, knives are only so expensive. I, I don't know what the highest ticket item is, but it's, it's probably, you know, a couple hundred bucks versus with what he's selling now with the home automation and security. I can imagine it's, you know, it could be over a thousand dollars and have payment plans and have monthly reoccurring uh, revenue. And if you get oh, yeah. <clears throat> the split from that or you get a big commission from that, that's how you get those big numbers. That's how you make 180K in five months. Yeah, and especially the reoccurring factor. I know a lot of people that sell insurance and once they're in it for five years and they have that customer base, that's almost free money every single year. Yeah, they're still going out and, and hustling and making new sales and they're getting you know, big tranches of cash off that. But once you have that, that Rolodex and that, you know, that, that, uh, customer base and you have that reoccurring element, that's when you start making mucho banco. Yeah. And I can almost see that as a, a form of passive income where it, it'd be hard not to take on new clients, you know, especially if you have the experience, you have the Rolodex, but it'd be easy just to kind of coast and say, you know what, let me go travel for a while. Let me go work something else. Let me just have this passive mm-hmm. income come in. And I think a way around that is, you know, basically, because, you know, instead of you being the salesperson, you eventually have you just give people referrals and, and get a cut of that. So th- there's there's definitely ways to 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 do everything. Um, you know, I'm I'm really like happy that that Brian I've kind of figured found a company, found a vehicle that he can really scale up in. Yeah. So if any of the listeners out there have that hustle spirit and want to learn sales tactics and earn some dough this summer alongside Brian, make sure you hit him up. We'll leave his information in the show notes. I think he said he had three slots left. Um, but anyways, hit him up. And if you're up for it, he'll, I'm sure he'll love to talk to you. Yeah, definitely. That'd be super interesting. I would actually love for one of our listeners to say, all right, I'm not doing anything this summer anyways. Let me fly out to Minnesota. Uh, let me knock on doors with this guy for five months. And then I would love, for, you know, if you guys do that and you make you know, a significant amount of money. You, you guys, you know, you guys hustle hard and you guys do well. I would love for you guys to come on that sh- on the show after, at the end of the five months. Tell us how mm-hmm. much you made, what the, the experience was like, and then also, more importantly, what you're gonna do with that money. What like what yeah. you're gonna invest in? Definitely. Oh, and the stories, man. There'd be some good stories for sure. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So one thing I wanted to quick talk about is, it sounds like Brian is just stacking that cash into into a, like a checkings account. Do you think it would be mm-hmm. smarter if he invests in something like, you know, like even like Pier Street where you know, he can just be locked in for less than a year and get maybe 7 or 8% interest? I don't know. You know, there's I, – I got this also when sharing my asset allocation in the Boss Lounge and I'm sure you've gotten it as well just because of our cash positions. But I don't know any – okay, 12 months is pretty short term in my view – for having very, you know, your principal protected and, and liquidity. Uh, I don't know of anything that's really short term unless we put it into some type of, of, uh, treasury bonds or tips or something, you know, something that is going to make like one or 2%. But I think having, you know, for me having access to that cash for you, you want access to that cash. Cause you're, you know, you're thinking that something could happen in the market, um, and Brian's thinking the same thing. He's thinking something big is going to happen in the market. He wants to have a lot of cash. So if you have your money locked up for 12 months, you might miss the boat, right? Um, there could be a 30% dip in the market or there could be a, a, you know, real estate doesn't seem to crash as, as fast as the markets. But 
I don't know what is a really good, highly liquid instrument that you could make, you know, two or 3% on and have your principal protected. If anyone knows, give us a shout out. Um, but that's certainly why I'm keeping my cash. I know if that's why you're keeping your cash. I know that's why Brian's keeping his cash. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And I, I think part of me wishes I just had more of that money uh, into something that is a year or less because off a hundred grand, what, what's 7% of a hundred grand? Is that, is that seven grand? Seven grand. That's a lot of money just to be leaving on the table. That we See, guys, John, Johnny, Johnny only got through third grade math and he's retired <laughs> at 34. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even more embarrassingly, I had the calculator app open for the last two minutes trying to figure that out. I was like, that sounds, that sounds like it's too Did much. I place a zero? Yeah. yeah. It's too much. No, but it's true. It's seven grand. That's, that's a lot of money. And it's, uh, that's a year of living in, in Bali for Johnny. Yeah. I definitely like it. And so, you know, big shout out to Brian. Thanks for coming on the show and, you know, best of luck with your, your real estate, uh, aspirations. I, I ho- hope you do stack that million dollars in the bank and that the real estate market tanks, uh, the next couple of years. Cause we all kind of betting on that as well. Uh, but in the meantime, if you guys want to invest in real estate and not have to put up the whole amount of money yourself, uh, Check out our this week's sponsor. It's Fundrise. We've had them on the show. And you can use our link, investlikeaboss.com slash Fundrise to get priority access uh, to the wait list for a lot of their properties. Uh, I also want to give a big thank you to uh, everyone who's left these amazing five-star reviews of the podcast on iTunes. If you haven't done it yet, please, please, please log into the iTunes app, uh, either on your computer uh, or somewhere, and leave a review on the iTunes store. Uh, f- this week we have Fuel to Fire 8. Great info, digestible and easy to listen. Five stars, finally an investment podcast for the modern investor. Look forward to all the great tips and info. That's a good one. Love them. Keep them coming, guys. All right. And see all of you guys next week. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.